Last week to this week, we started something on actually salt and light, I don't know, about three weeks ago. And last week, we talked a little bit about forgiveness, and we're going to carry on doing that today. And I want to ask you all to open your heart, open your mind, open your ears just to what I want to share today. It's something that I believe is absolutely core to just the gospel, to everything that we may long for. And last week was a foundation for this week, so if you weren't here, it's some of it, you know, it requires context, which I don't have time for. But it's something that's very close to my heart, so I hope, to, I hope that you hear His Word this morning and not mine. But we are called to be salt and light. That's what Jesus called us. In our relationship to the world, is salt and it's light, which we went over a few weeks ago. What does that actually mean? It's fundamentally important to understand. So, and I think, I think with all my heart, I believe, that unforgiveness and forgiveness is directly linked to our ability to shine. It really, really is. It's the, it's the great blocker. It's the great light dimmer. It's the, to hold on to something, forgive, unforgiveness and bitterness. And it's a tool of the enemy that he uses, unfortunately, against the body of Christ very easily. And it has tremendous power for the negative. And I think if we can see some of that today, I'm trusting God that He gives supernatural revelation to people. It's something that you can understand here, but when it becomes revelation, it'll adjust the way you think and it'll adjust your life almost overnight, and then there's obviously a process. So can we pray for that? Can we do that together? Heavenly Father, I thank You that You sent Your Son. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it has all authority. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I really do, Lord. I thank you for your presence. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is much freedom. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, if you could turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Matthew 18, or touch your iPads or whatever they are. Salt and light, I find it's very interesting. The Bible says that actually there's a few things that will cause people to look at you as a believer. You know, Corinthians talks about being a carnal believer. In other words, that is a person who's a Christian, but unless they told you, you wouldn't know. They look exactly like the world. But Jesus says, no, you're salt and light. And there's a few things that the Bible describes as being in such a way that when people get around you, they begin to ask questions. It's not when you preach. It's, not, it's just in your life. They begin to ask questions. Why are you so different? And it talks about light. It says that you are the light of the world. So that when people see, it's when they get around you. The other one is hope. It says, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is within you. So a Christian without hope will never answer that question. The other one is love. This is how people will know that you are my disciples, the way that you love one another. It's evidence to the world, friends. It's actually the evidence, I think, that the world looks for. They, they look at the church and they look at themselves and they say, well, there's hypocrites because it's not condemnation. I'm just, this is what the world says. Hello? So they look for evidence. They really do. They look for evidence to such a degree that when they get to be around you, you are like salt. They start to thirst for something and they don't understand it. They don't understand why. What am I thirsting for? This, when I get around you, there's things that happen in my heart and in my life that I don't understand. Get around you, I don't want more knowledge, I, I don't want another promotion, I don't, it's not to go and study more of this. And sometimes they've never had these desires before. They're like, I just, I don't know what I'm longing for when I'm around you. Well, it's Jesus, because He is the longing of the nations, the Bible says. And that's what it means. People get thirsty for something that they're not 
used to when they're around you as a believer. And then they start to long for things that are unnatural to them, purity and affection and family and love. And I feel strange when I'm around you. That's to be what a believer looks like. Amen. So, what is forgiveness? I, I really, we defined it last week, we'll do it again briefly, but it's something so much more than just forgiving someone. It's, it's so powerful. So forgiveness, it's up behind me. To grant free pardon for or remission of any offense or debt, to give up all claim, even a claim of justice. It's an act of the will, not of the emotions. So let me just say, it's, you're never going to wake up and be like, you know what, today I feel, I just, I feel like forgiving everyone. That's not going to happen. Okay, just in case you were waiting for that. Forgiveness is a part of God's nature. It's actually a part of God's nature. We went over that last week. Now, standing in the shower, sorry about that, and the Lord often speaks to me in just various ways, and I was just praying in the Spirit, and He just shows me in my mind the word forgive, and suddenly they were separated. Forgive, there's two words there. And I know that's the Lord's gentle way of saying, uh, son, you, you know, go study that. So I did that. And I want to present that to you very quickly. The word for, the dummy, means all those things. To pay what is due, debt, wage, or price. To appoint to an office. To give forth from oneself. That's what Jesus did for us. And one of the reasons I'm doing this, and we're going to get into studies and lists a little bit today in the beginning. So can we do some study? Yeah? Just to make it make sense. Because a lot of the time if you grow up in church, there's words we use so many times that they lose it's power. Like awesome. They said the awesome day of the Lord. Well, we think coffee is awesome. <laughs> you understand? It's, it, loses its, it loses its power. So this is what give means. To give forth from oneself. To grant or permit one. To commission. The word give actually means to commission. To furnish or supply all necessary things. To bestow a gift. To return to one whom they previously belonged. Isn't that amazing? To give one to someone as his own. Then the word for, you know the word apostolos, the sent ones. The word for is the root word apo, which means to send or separation. And under separation, it means this, to separate apart from the whole, to separate one thing from another by which the union is destroyed, or to separate, in a sense, from the origin of a cause. So I throw together a definition which they'll throw up. According to Greek, according to Hebrew, what does the word forgive actually mean? I just listed those together. It means this, to send away anything that separates, no matter the origin or the cause, to restore the part back to the whole. That's called salvation. Back to the one whom we previously belonged, to pay the debt in full, to remove the wage owed. That's death. To commission by giving them something from yourself. That's what Jesus did. To furnish and supply them with all necessary things, including gifts. That's what it means to be forgiven. It's not just to say, I'm sorry, oh, it's okay. True forgiveness is a radical thing, friends. Our response is we give ourselves to him as his own. That's what the word give is. We give ourselves to him as our own. Why? Because we're bought with a price. We are not actually our own at all. So, Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable, and we went over this last week. I won't go into today. He goes over the vastness of what you've been forgiven. 
to help you understand how to forgive others. You know, and there's a few things like that in the Bible. Forgiveness and love, primarily. To really begin to understand how to forgive another, you need to see what you've been forgiven. And the more you see that, the easier this becomes. Love is like that. I love because I'm loved. The more you understand how much you love, now I can love. It's not a mental exercise. It's just not. You see what he's done first, and it builds it into you, not knowledge, supernatural, builds into your spirit, and it changes the way you treat people. There's certain spiritual realities that happen with forgiveness and unforgiveness, and we went over two of them last week. The one is this exponential increase in authority. The other one is reproduction or repetition. The other one is an invitation for breakthrough. So we're going to go read again Matthew just chapter 18 from verse 15 to 20. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about this increase, even though we're going to move past that. But it's very important. So let's go to Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, now let me just pause there for those who went here last week. That does not mean to run around telling everyone how they've hurt you and offended you. I've seen this text do a lot of damage in the body of Christ. It actually there is bringing, when it says two or three witnesses, it's bringing the law of Moses into it. It's something that someone has done that was quite extreme, which according to the law of Moses, they could have prosecuted. But instead of that, they choose grace. They say, I don't want to do that, so I'm coming to you out of grace because of my value for you. It's a little bit different to the way that maybe some of us have read it. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. That, and then it quotes the law, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, don't fellowship. Then verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus is giving a lesson on forgiveness. Then he goes into the parable. And I know I touched on this last week, but it's, it's important to understand. Then he throws out these stunning statements that one of them has, he talks about heaven and earth. There's something that has happened in heaven, things that have been already bound and already loosed in heaven that we have the delegated authority to do here. He's saying that is linked to this, what I'm talking about. It's actually what he's saying. Then he talks about answered prayer. We all pray, but then he talks about answered prayer said, if two of you agree on earth, on earth, then he talks about presence. There I am in your midst. That's called habitation, the presence of God. What he's trying to explain, he's giving a lesson to his disciples. I personally believe it's one of the chief lessons that they took with him into the book of Acts. And I'll show you why I believe that in a moment. But it's something that they went into the book of Acts and it dramatically changed who they were as people. When Jesus rose again in John chapter 20, he comes to them and he says, I say peace to you. You know, he appears in the room and they freak out and all of that. So he has to say peace twice, calm down. And then, and then he says, you know, he talks about forgiveness. And they said, oh, this is that lesson that he gave us in Matthew 18. And you see the disciples, I mean, Matthew 18 starts with this text of who's the greatest. 
like teenagers. Who's the, who's the best of us, you know? Which is just silly. And so we see these type of men very different in Acts and in the Gospels. And I partly believe it's largely because of this lesson. Because he's saying to them, the link between heaven and earth, I'm about to give you delegated authority. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you go. I'm about to hand you keys to the kingdom. Peter, I will give you keys. I'm about to give you something. I'm about to win this victory. And we're like, oh, it's anointing and it's power and it's gifts. And yes, those things are all true and they're all very important. But what Jesus is teaching him here, he's saying the release of that authority, this exponential increase where one sends a thousand and two, ten thousand, three hundred thousand. This exponential increase of authority of, of to display victory, which is actually the best way to bring glory to God, not to suffer for him. To display that, to see that. Yes, I'm going to give you this authority. Yes, I'm going to give you gifts. Yes, I'm going to furnish you. But the true display actually has to do with how you treat one another. It's that important. It actually has to do not so much with all of that, but how we work this out. Then, he says, you'll be able to release what I've given you. Not before. In 2 Corinthians 10... Verse 10 to 11, it says this. I mean, I have to read it from behind. It says, Whom you forgive anything, I forgive. This is Paul writing about a man in 1 Corinthians. For indeed, if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The NIV says schemes. Who knows that, that part? We are not ignorant of his schemes. It's in the context of forgiveness. Do we see that? You know that word devices, that word schemes? You know what it actually means? It just means it's the word mind in the Greek. <laughs> Every other time it's used, they can throw it up. Every other time it's used, the book of, well, actually it's mostly used in the book of Corinthians. That's the Greek meaning, mental perception, thought, the mind which proposes an evil purpose. Literally those yellow words, it's the same word. For some reason here they wrote schemes. But it talks about where well, your minds are blinded. That's the same word. Bringing every thought, that's the same word. So when it says we do not want you to be unaware of the devil's schemes, of his devices, Paul is actually saying, don't think like he thinks. Don't have his mind in your mind. And the chief thing that he's going to get you to think like is how you deal with one another. Because it's in the context of forgiveness. Huh. If you do not gather with me, you scatter, the Lord says. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ or we have another mind. And this issue of unforgiveness is literally how the enemy thinks. It's a device. It's a scheme. He sits and goes, hmm, how can I stop this massive display of what Jesus has won? Power, signs, wonders, love, miracle, family, fellow. How can I stop this? Hmm. Unforgiveness, burdenness offense. That's how. That's how. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah? Hello? All right. We see in the book of Acts this phrase, one accord. NIV just says together. We just we see the phrase, they were in one accord. Whose Bible says one accord in, all over the book of Acts? You know that most of the texts that we long for, like, oh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, or Every single one of those major stories in the book of Acts are preceded by that word. 
Acts 1, with Peter's sermon, verse 15, as it starts, verse 15, says, Peter stood up to preach. Just before, it says, they were in one accord. The word is homothamadon in the Greek. You know what it means? One mind, one passion, and harmony. It does not mean everyone exactly the same. You can have two singers with very different voice, but they sing in harmony. What they had done is they had taken Matthew 18. They had taken this lesson that Jesus gave them on forgiveness. And they said, this is linked to our ability to release what we've been given, what we've been delegated. This is linked to that. So I'm going to be in one accord with you. We are going to have harmony. We are going to have one mind, his mind, one mind in purpose, one mind in passion, one mind. And every time you see this suddenly in the book of Acts, just before that is this word. They were in one accord. They were in one accord in Acts 2 verse 1. It says they were in one accord and in one place. And then verse 2 says, and suddenly. Say, oh, it just came out of nowhere. No, they were in one accord. It says in 2.46, you know that scripture that community belong for, they, add, they ate bread with simplicity, they're house to house. You know that famous community scripture. The Lord added to their number. Everyone gave to one another. Just before that, it says they were all in one accord. It's that one mind, one passion. In Acts 4.24, when they, you know, they prayed, Lord, you are the God of heaven and earth. And the building shook and they were filled with boldness and filled with the Spirit. And great signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Just before that verse, it says, oh, they were in one accord. Every time, friends. Acts 5, which is one of the places in Acts where it says all were healed. That's where people shadow healed people. They were laying people in the streets. Well, just before that verse. Just because, no, just before that verse, they were in one accord. And it goes on. There's more. I just listed a few. The revival with Philip. The working out of doctrine. Big one. Certain disciples came from Judea saying that you have to be circumcised. And there was a big faction in the church. The elders had to work stuff out. While they were working out doctrinal differences, it says they were in one accord. And says, and because they were in one accord, the city was turned to great joy. Signs and wonders were done, and the prophets began to prophesy. It doesn't mean agreement. It's something deeper. It doesn't mean, okay, agree to disagree. It's something deeper. It's something that I think Western people don't fully understand. It's something that happens deep in a person's spirit to be one accord. And Jesus in Matthew 18 begins to speak to them about that. You want to release what I've given you? You want to release the spirit that I'm putting in you and on you? You want to use the authority that I've won? It has to do, it's linked with how you treat each other. Anointing is important. Power is important. Those things are good. But how you treat each other? That's where it's at. Answered prayer. There I am in your midst. Presence. Presence in a church. Where's Jesus? What is he teaching Matthew 18 about? The context of a local church. That's what the lesson is on when you come together as a body. Let me ask you a question. What are most churches known for? Offenses or one accord? It's a choice as a church. It's a choice. Let me be very loving but straight. Don't hear this for somebody else. Don't sit here going, that person, hmm. 
I can't preach this for someone else. How do you think I feel? There's probably some of you who are not happy with me. And that's okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, hey. oh, no, I'm not allowed to say amen. <laughs> that was awesome. Friends, it's actually why I think it's not the main reason. Obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this. I have to tread carefully. But why is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of something is its nature. The fruit of an apple tree is apples. Why is the fruit of the Spirit the person of power? Why is it not? And the fruit of the Spirit is power and signs and healing and wonder. That's what he does. Why is the fruit of the Spirit love, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control? Because it's this issue. Because when that's present, the rest will come. Because it's linked to how you treat one another. Very, very important. We cannot reserve the right to be hurt and offended and bitter. Well, I just reserve my right, specifically towards authority figures. Please hear me, friends. I know I'm treading on toes. I'm jumping on your whole foot this morning. <laughs> it matters not what you think of them. <laughs> be careful how you speak. We want to see God. We long for your presence and your glory and healing and sign. Yes, of course I do. And by the time you get to the car, you wouldn't believe. Do you know what I heard this morning? And blah, blah, blah. Stop. It, it stops. Yeah. You know, there's not a man or woman of God who has, you know, changed the world in a sense, who hasn't dealt with this issue. Because they get, they get, a, oh, they get people come at them 24-7, and it just has to roll off of them. Yeah. They have to work this through. We cannot reserve the right to be offended and bitter towards each other and expect to be a light in the city. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. All right, we'll leave that one right there. Second thing we went over last week is reproduction. I won't go over that. Reproduction. Don't become what you hate. What's done to you, if you keep it inside, it grows and you become what was done to you. Thirdly is invitation to breakthrough. I, I'm not going to go over this long. It's a very simple concept. We have to understand this. It's so powerful because it's the, exactly the opposite as to what the enemy tries to do with unforgiveness. I'll use Julie because she was here the other day and she's fun to pick on. So if Julie does something to me and I forgive Julie, all the victories that you know, a person has won they fought for in the spirit, the, the prayers, the victories, the, you know, the battles you've won. You know what I'm talking about? When I forgive her, I offer her that too. I extend an invitation for somebody else to walk in what I fought for, even though they did me harm. You see, with Paul and Stephen, Stephen was appointed as a leader in Acts chapter 6 to deal with Hellenists. There was an issue with Hellenists. A little different group of Hellenists, but still Hellenists. They were, they were Jews, but they weren't born. They weren't in Jerusalem and so forth. They were from outside the Greek speaking. Another group of Hellenists killed Stephen. The people that he was appointed to help, not the exact same people, but then a different group of Hellenists were the ones that rose up, gave false witness, and killed him. Who was the one standing in authority when they killed him? Paul. In other words, it rests on his shoulders. 
Augustine, the early church father, said, We owe Paul to the forgiveness of Stephen. He said, As he died, charge this not against them. Forgive them, in a sense, for they know not what they do. It's a similar prayer to Jesus. And he prays that, in a sense, it goes into Paul. He was greatly affected by that. While this man's dying, forgiveness is pouring out of him. Because Stephen understood something. Paul gets saved. Later on, there's a revival that breaks out from a little group of disciples in Acts 11 that plant a church. And it's so powerful, so they go to get Paul to come back. And, you know, and he bears incredible fruit with which group of people? It, says, it starts there in, the, in Acts 11 when it says, those who were scattered over the persecution of Stephen. And it says, and then the Hellenists came together. And Paul was the one who bore all the fruit of that work. It was the forgiveness of Stephen, it's my belief, that gave a gift to Paul, what he fought for. He bore fruit that he did not pay for. Because someone forgave him. You know, people say, well, it's a bit shaky. Well, when Jesus forgave you, he also extends to you the invitation as to what he won. He defeated death. When he forgives you, if you receive his forgiveness, you become saved. I believe with all my heart that everything that can get stopped with unforgiveness, when we understand something, you start to look for opportunities to forgive because it's one of the fastest ways to increase and multiply what God can do. Because you're offering invitations without just, hey, hey, oh, you, oh, I'm just going to forgive you. Let's see what God can do with that. It's a divine strategy of heaven. The disciples understood that. They said, Matthew 18, if two on earth can agree, there I am. It's to offer something. It's to extend an invitation. If they should choose it. You may be free, but they still have to choose it. All right. Question for you, then we're going to go over some other stuff. What's possible if one church understands this? One church. What can happen in a city if one church makes a corporate decision to be a forgiving church with an understanding of what forgiveness carries, how we treat each other, how we work together, how we overcome stuff, how we... It doesn't mean no pain. Whenever true, real forgiveness is present, it'll come with pain, vulnerability, and humility. Always. Always. People say, well, if I have to go tell them how, you know, it's very vulnerable. Yeah, well, Jesus was naked when he was on a cross. He was a little vulnerable too. You know, the psychologists and sociologists will tell you that the same three ingredients are present that form the strongest friendships. Like high schoolers, you know, when they fight and then they become friends, they become best friends. Sometimes pain comes first. Like those who fight two wars against each other, then they reconcile, they become best friends. Humility, pain, or suffering, or hardship, and vulnerability is the bond that makes the best friends. Jesus knows that that's required for forgiveness. He's so beyond us. You see that? So beyond us. So... What's possible? I, I really wanna, I want you to ponder that. What's possible in this city? If this church says, we, will, we long for power, signs, we long for that, but our focus is one accord because of what comes with that. Yeah. And it's hard because it's, you can't be selfish. 
that's unpleasant. Selfishness is easy. It's fun, you know. You know, it's all about me. Can we go to Colossians 3? Are we good? Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14 says this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The NIV says it like this. Forgive as Christ forgave you. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called, also called, and be thankful. Friends, this is a shocking verse to me. Shocking. It's a shocking verse. That someone can say, forgive as he forgave you. That's a shocking statement. Forgive each other as he forgave you. Well, how do I do that? Well, we'll get into that in a moment. I want to give you some helpful thoughts and things to remember. Practical. Can we be practical? Practical things to remember if you're struggling. Number one, it's an act, any forgiveness is an act of your will. Like I said, it's never going to be, you're never going to wake up and be like, today is that day. I just feel, mm, going to forgive. No, that doesn't happen. It's an act of your will because of what you see and because you have an understanding of what you've been forgiven. Their forgiveness is not necessary. And understand that with forgiveness, it's very different to a person who's still in your life, to a person that was from the past, from your childhood, to a person who may have passed on, to a person who's still alive but not around. They're all different, I understand. They all, you deal with them all different, which we'll get into some more next week. Forgiveness and reconciliation are very different. You don't, please, again, I said this last week, but I'll qualify again. You don't, I'm not talking about an abusive situation. You don't reconcile a person to their abuser. You just don't. But you still teach them how to forgive so that they can be free. And people don't know. Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe that's always true. Even if someone willingly does something to you, they do not see the length and breadth and depth of it. They do not see how it affects you at night, in your sleep, and then it affects your children, and then it affects the way you think, and you start to believe other lies because of this thing, and they don't see that, even if they meant to, to, to do you harm. They don't see the three generations of lies and stuff. They don't see. They don't actually know what they've done. It's almost always true. They don't know what they've done. So you forgive them. Because they don't know. Is that helpful? Practical. And then, God willing, I still want to get into some more things. Are we still good? All right. Practical. How do you do it? I had someone ask me the other day, okay, yeah, I get that, but what do I do? Like, how do I forgive? Like, I don't even actually know what to do. So I go home, I sit there, now what? Okay. Do this. Write it down. Write down all the stuff that you want to forgive, the person or the name or the stuff. And let me just say, let it rise up in your heart. Let the feelings... Some people won't forgive, not because they don't want to forgive, because they don't want to remember the pain. It's too extreme. You have to write it down and not let it overwhelm you, but let it come up a little bit. You actually have to do that. It's not fun for Western mind people. Be like, no, I don't do that. Just give me a method. Well, this is my best method, okay? Allow it to rise up. Then, pray out loud. Father, I forgive for this. 
out, it has to come out of your mouth. I believe, therefore I spoke. If you find that you cannot say it, I've prayed with people who pray for forgiveness, and literally they, they, uh, it's so much, they cannot say it. If that happens, come find us. We'll help you. Sometimes you have to pray it repeatedly until there's a release. Sometimes there's no release. It takes days, a season, a while, a year, whatever. But you pray it. It has to come out your mouth. Okay. What's the lie? Almost every time there's been something, there's a lie. You've believed a lie with it. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're ugly. You're not going to do this. You cannot do that. You cannot go forward. You cannot make it. What's the lie? What lie came with it? There was a lie. You know what lies do? They destroy hope, which stops people asking questions. What's the lie? What's the truth? It'll mostly be about your identity. I am a son. I am a child. I am righteous. I am loved. I am, I am, I am. What's the truth opposite to that lie? What's the truth? What does the Bible say about you? What does God think about you? What's the truth? If you don't know, ask someone. They'll tell you what the Bible says. Find a leader. Don't ask them what's the truth about me because you, you might get the truth. No. <laughs> ask someone, what's the truth? You know, what is the truth about this? What does the Bible say about this? And take that scripture, take that concept, and pray it, and pray it, and put it in you, and put it in you. This no longer has access to my heart. That statement's just personal. I have prayed that probably 10 million times in my life. Every time someone comes at me, you shouldn't, and you didn't, and you should have said this, but you said that, and I think, and you oh. This no longer has access to my heart. Let it come out your mouth. Bless them. Actually bless them. People say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus said, bless your enemies and do not. You're like, I'm good with forgiveness, but bless them? That's, that's next week. No. Bless them. <laughs> Actually bless them. Bless them. You know, better than getting the devil out or sending God in, because it gets the devil out too. Bless them. Then go to the person, if still needed. Most of the time it's not. If it is, specifically if it's family, go to the person. If there's a big, nope, not going to that person. Find a mature believer who will not have their opinion changed about that person and work it through with them. Friends, because it's more about the local church, actually. Don't be offended. <laughs> if you do, do that. No. <laughs> It's more about what Jesus was speaking about, what's possible in a local church, than about an individual. But it requires individuals to understand so we can be in one accord. So your personal freedom is very important to the Lord. But it's so that we can be a light and salt. Okay. Then I always get this question. What do I do if they're going to do it again? Well, what if they do it again? Oh, it's a great question. I'm going to give you two points. What if they do it again? Go to Romans 5. Romans 5 says this, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having been now justified. Then go to verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That word reconciliation actually means an exchange. 
If you want to forgive as Christ forgave, that's what Colossians says, forgive as Christ forgave you. Jesus did not only forgive, he declared righteous. Big deal. Sorry, Kate. I can forgive Kate. Be like, I forgive you, but you're still terrible. No, no. Forgive as Christ forgave. I forgive you, and you and I, we're in right standing. That's what righteousness means. One of the words forgiveness, one of the meanings of the word forgiveness means to roll off. Rolls off you. Because your identity is not what they say, what he says. What he says. We take our example from the Lord. I forgive you. But not only that, I exchange. Someone somewhere has to bear pain for there to be forgiveness. Someone has to take the hit. If we keep passing the hit, it just destroys a church. Someone takes the hit. Most of the time a leader or a parent. Someone takes a hit says, I'll absorb that. But you know what? In exchange for that, I'm going to give you right standing with me. That's to forgive our Christ forgave. We take our example from him. What happens if they continue to do it? Romans 12, verse 14, 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So there's the bless. If you wanted a scripture, there it is. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind. Oh, isn't that interesting? One accord. Be of the same mind with one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Does your Bible say someone? Mine says no one. No one. Evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Now this one, I read this many years ago. It's like, whoa, I don't understand. Okay? Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Would rather give place to wrath. Yep, yeah, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get Thor's hammer, I'm going to smash him, or whatever, right? No, it's not your wrath. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then he quotes Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but with good. What does that mean? What do I do if someone keeps sinning against me? The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, that it's the goodness or the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Yes? yes? Okay. You're consistent. They come at you. We're in right standing. I forgive you. I'm good to you. I'm kind to you. That will sit, actually starts to break a person down. But you keep coming at me. Yeah, but, you know, we're in right standing. I forgive you. Man, I love you. I, that consistent goodness and kindness to that person paves a path for them to repentance. Paves a path for them. They will come to a moment where they go, where they have a choice. Because inside them, it's like heaping coals in their lap. That's what he's saying. The scary thing is this, there will come a place, there will come a time if they do not, in a sense, in that moment of repentance, to change the way they think about you, to, if they do not make that choice, their life will begin to destruct and fall apart. I've seen it over and over and over and over. And that's what Jesus is saying. Then have nothing. If they don't listen to the church, if they don't listen to leaders, it's not listen to like you better listen. It's not that. 
If that's happened and happened and happened, there will come a point where you will have no fellowship with them because they, they just fall apart. Hello? That's what he's saying. What do I do if they keep doing it? Keep doing it too. Forgiveness. I forgive you. You're in right standing. Proverbs 25 actually says it like this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will keep coals on the fire on his head. But it leaves this part out in the Romans 12. And the Lord will reward you. The Passion Bible says it like this. I love it. If your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. What does that mean? It means that for you to continue to do this, it's going to cost you something. It costs you something. Buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Amazing. Forgive as Christ forgave. Last point. I want it to be finished at 11.15. It's 11.16. I have failed. <laughs> Do you forgive me? Forgive you. Yes. Okay. Last point. Feel the coals. <laughs> he says feel the coals. That's great. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. That's, but I've changed. I've repented. I haven't actually because I'm going to carry on. Last point. Very quickly. 2 Corinthians. We actually read it about when it says, we read it earlier. He says, whoever you forgive, I forgive, okay? Very powerful understanding. Forgiveness begets forgiveness. Oh, you forgave them? Oh, I forgive them. Forgiveness is like a wildfire. It, it, true, radical, not just like, yeah, or whatever. No, no, real forgiveness. You see it sometimes in a nation. Nelson Mandela, you see it. You see it. Real forgiveness will beget forgiveness. It rolls on. So does offense. So does offense. Proverbs 26, I think, 17, I think it is, yes, says this. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Does it say ear or ears? Ears. One, two. What does that mean? It means I've picked up another offense here. It's got nothing to do with me. I've picked it up. Now to put it down, it's going to cause me pain. Because you go find a dog and pick it up by both ears. So now I've got to put this down. It's not even mine. I don't even know if it's true. You know, this person, I don't even know now, was that true? Or was it just this person's perceived issue? It may be your friend. Now I've got a dog by the ears. Now you have a choice. For me to put this down, I'm going to get bitten. Actually, that's what it means. I will now get bitten. Now you have two choices. Keep holding the dog. Okay? Keep holding the dog. Which means what? Both your hands are occupied. The advancement on the, of the kingdom in and through your life stops. Because it takes all your focus to hold this dog. It's just like that with a fence. Everything that God was doing in and through you stops. Because now you've got a dog. All right? What did Jesus say? If you have anything against your brother... It actually says, when you stand praying, Mark 11, if you have anything against your brother, Jesus is saying, don't go to the Father with a dog. Lord, I thank you and I bless you and shh, dog, I thank you. <laughs> That's what it is. 
And we're like, Lord, use us. He's like, well, you're my hands and feet. Use my feet because my hands are occupied. Friends, that's what it is. For you to put that down, it's going to cause you pain. So you either got to put it down, you either got to keep holding on to it, which everything stops. There is a third option. Don't pick it up. Just don't. Don't pick it up. Next week, we're going to touch on corporate forgiveness as a body. We're going to touch on forgiveness from authority figures and how to forgive yourself. Hard. If you think you cannot forgive yourself, please hear me with a very nice heart. You spurn Christ's cross because he forgave you. Who are you not to forgive you? 